0: Hello, this is Ken Roshan, our Amplified Radio Voice America, and uh, we have a great, great guest yes. today, and we're excited about this show. But then when don't we have a great guest? So I don't want to sound too redundant, but he is another great guest. So, Andrea, how are you?
1: I'm hunky-dory. There's been a lot of fun things that are happening in the world, and a lot of things that we're gearing up for and just finished. Ken, do you want to uh, recap any of the things that are highlights in the last week or two for you yourself or the future?
0: I want Elijah to do that. I want for a change, the guest to tell about the highlights that I've been dealing with in my life.
1: (laughs) Did you inform them of them?
0: I think Elijah probably is on Facebook. And so he probably (laughs) probably knows what's up.
1: Well, uh, the good news uh, for uh, Ken is he's got uh, uh, the wedding industry has picked back up as well. So that's a good thing for lots of people in the world. Uh, as many of you know, Ken was known as a world DJ. Has had a DJ company for, what, 37 years now. Absolute entertainment. So that's super exciting for you to be out and about and be busy. And exciting for the world that they can actually have a wedding and have people show up and celebrate. So that's super fun. And a couple of weeks, um, I'll be going to GrooveCon and the marketer's cruise uh, that's coming up. Ken, you have a couple fun things that you're doing, uh, flying here and there, helping people celebrate uh, some book launches and some retreats. Um, Do you want to give a shout out to them and their events?
0: Well, I actually just want to focus on, um, I guess, putting out in the universe what's supposed to happen. Elijah is in LA and I said, To southwest where should i fly to meet a guy like elijah and they said la so we just found out today that we might be meeting um, very shortly after this uh, show which is exciting for me and uh, it's always cool when you can talk to someone zoom with them and then have them have their story be a part of your passion which is legacy and marketing work that inspires others that they can get through anything and it'll be cool because the hardest thing people seem to have with doing our dose of hope book is getting that photo they sent it back as a selfie a jpeg uh, all kinds of different um hands cut off all kinds of crazy stuff and so we get to do it right when we are meeting the person in person so i'm, I'm really excited about meeting elijah
1: yeah i'm and very excited about that as well um so when, uh, ken keeps referring to elijah elijah stacy is why don't we talk today. about
0: elijah stacy for a change
1: Well, let's first talk about our sponsors, if you don't mind, because you're wearing a very handsome shirt and we definitely want to give some love to menfashion.com, bees.social, that's B-E-E-S.social, the cryptocurrency changing the world. And some things are happening there, too, as well, uh, which are going to be making a huge impact on the Keep Smiling movement over the next three months. Um, We want to thank the Umbrella Syndicate, Perfect Publishing, Big Events USA, Absolute Entertainment, the Red Carpet Connection. And Voice mm-hmm. America Influencers channel, mymakeuplady.com, and the EM excuse me, the I forget what it's called. Well, I won't say what it is because I can't remember what it's called. So there you go. And, and the most uh,
0: exciting and, thing is our sponsorship list is going to be going dramatically lower. We're going to be cutting probably half the companies off just so we can focus on this show. My goodness, this is so much time.
1: Well, you know, I think that 30 seconds is well worth the love that these people have been giving to us. So okay, there you go. Well, but we can get back to Alaysia Stacy because that's what uh, you looks like you were wanting to do.
0: That's what I want to do. Elijah, no, no more company names for sponsorship. I might even remove all my companies just so that we can keep it down to two or three. So let's uh, introduce Elijah. Uh,
1: Just a minute, since we're pre recording, I wanted to be able to have a nice break there so I can uh, uh, do some editing. We would then like to uh, have Elijah here on as we uh, Ken just mentioned. Elijah Stacy is 19 years old. He suffers 20. from, uh, you know what? Uh, you're t- yes, you're 20 now, Elijah. Oh my God. And
0: I found out pre show that he's going to be 21 next year. So this is pretty cool.
1: <laughs> well, I'm so glad that that works out for everybody that they get to uh, do a chronological order and age and have another year added to them. And you know well, Elijah- Wait a second.
0: Wait a second. I got to say this because this is important. Elijah, you, I know you're coming on very soon, so you'll be able to react to this, but don't you love when someone says their age and they say something like, I'm a, I'm 14, but I'm going to 15. I'm like, really? You're not going to skip 15 and just go to 16? Don't you love it when people tell you what age they're going to be next? <laughs> Elijah's so Elijah
1: yeah Elijah has a genetic muscle disorder um it it's where the it's a wasting disease known as duchenne muscular dystrophy which has taken away his ability to walk um, from the age of 11. however his spirit remains unbridled, he's optimistic about the future and has a passion for business. This passion has led him to starting a 501c3 nonprofit when he was 15. It's called Destroy Duchenne. And he believes that no matter how big or small the suffering is, don't go unused but use it to empower others and to help minimize the suffering for future generations and what they will face he believes that his purpose in the world is to minimize human suffering and propel human prosperity which is evident in his work as he works endlessly to disrupt Duchenne and how it affects others. He, along with his efforts towards the disease and the curing of it, in high school he was selected as an intern for the Riverside County District Attorney as he has an interest in bringing justice to those who are inflicting suffering upon others. So the amazing work there. He also enjoys public speaking and has been posting inner, inspirational posts and contents on his social media at Elijah Stacy. So Elijah Stacy, we're so honored to have your handsome face here with us.
2: Thank you. Thank you. It's so great to be here. And thank you for such a kind introduction. And Ken, I gotta say, I love all the jokes. You make my day.
0: Awesome. Well, this is not going to be a joke. I when I first saw you before the show, I was going to call out imposter. I said, This is there's no way you are Elijah Stacy because I have the book and <laughs> there is no beard on this young man.
2: <laughs> uh, so I, was little, that, I was younger there. I was a lot younger there.
0: The, they did they I didn't know if you're gonna have hands in the show because I saw they cut it off here. <laughs> and they bit. cut off part of a finger here. I was like kind of mad about that we're going to fix that you know why why i I care about your hands (laughs) so great title of a book very compelling and uh very nice photography too so I, i i'm digging that we're going to have a great conversation about it i wanted to start off of course with what we always talk about which is the journey of how you created who you are because it's always a choice and a lot of people really a lot of people do not know it's a choice there are people that are sad, there are people that are depressed, there are people that are miserable and they go through the drudgery of it and they actually do not think they can shift it. And so our first books back there a lot of it says keep smiling. Shift happens. So as you smile more, you tell the world, you tell your brain, it's going to be all good. And so what happens is you shift the the response that it gives back to you but you also receive it. So it's really cool. So I'm going to make the invitation formal because we talked about me being in LA and we're going to figure this thing out. But the 2,000 words of this story, up to 4,000 words, fitting in a book about hope is the intention I have for this show is getting your story from whatever you're doing out to up to 10 million more people, if not more than that. So I was excited to share some of the people that are in this book and you knowing who they are and knowing how big um, these, these people are and how we're actually saying what they mean to us. So you will be given this same template gift to be able to have this out by the holidays, an 800 page book to accompany the, the marketing for your beautiful book. All right. Awesome. Sounds good. Thank you. And don't, do not shave between now and Friday. I'm not going to recognize you.
2: <laughs> <It> sounds good.
0: <laughs> okay. So let's start off with your story. Um, <clears throat> we can start very logically with where you're born and what you recall and what you remember about your childhood. Your parents, all that good stuff. You want to start there?
2: Sure. Yeah. So I was born uh, in Southern California, uh, 2001. And, um, I guess I would just start off saying that, you know, when I was a little kid, I spoke really early, you know, so normal or so abnormal that my doctor, he noticed me talking in complete sentences and he said, you know, that's abnormal. My mom didn't really uh, recognize that, but she said, you know, you know, that was something that's your first notice, but really I think my story starts when I'm about four years old, you know, I'm doing preschool and all kinds of things. And I'm starting to kind of struggle a little bit in terms of walking, you know, I'm not able to keep up with my peers, but it's not super noticeable, but there's something there. Right. But then as you know, time progresses, I'm five i I'm and I'm in, you know, kindergarten and and going through it. Um, and we had a, a tricycle, a tricycle, that we're trying to ride for like a fundraiser at school. And this is one of the real major points, I think, that I realized there's something off, you know. And I wasn't able to have the strength to push myself to go around the track that they created. And I was just kind of stuck there. And everyone was looking at me going, you know, what's going on? Like, why are you kind of stuck there? Having all that attention on you. You got parents looking at me, teachers looking at me. And a teacher comes up to you, a male teacher. He's like, you know, you got to push harder. And I'm like, you know, I'm trying my best to push. I can't go, I can't go any further. It's just, it's not happening. Um, And this lady who would be present in my life, her name is Miss Cindy. You know, she comes up to me and she's like, uh, what's going on? She was recording it because my brother was being born in the hospital as this event was happening, my, my little brother, Max. And so this is all, this is all going on. And uh, that was one of the major, major things, but, you know, we would just see more and more. I'd be walking on my tippy toes. How, How old were
0: you again at that time?
2: I was about Five or six around that time. So um, I was walking on my tippy toes, not able to keep it with my peers, getting tired easily, falling to the floor. If we had to get off the floor it would be different, right? It'd take me a lot longer to get off the floor. So all these things were happening. My mom wanted to measure my height. She wanted to measure my height so I didn't have to be in a booster seat anymore. So she tells me, okay, go up against the wall, put your feet down, you know, put your heels down against the floor. And I can't do it. And she thought, come on, love, stop messing around. Like, we got to go. Like, Let me measure your height. And I, I couldn't do it. And so she realized, okay, there's something there that's obviously wrong and different. Went to the doctors and started doing a bunch of testing and all this kind of stuff. And so that's what's going on. But in the background, right, because, you know, that's that's focusing on the medical side of having to shin, right? That's what we're going to get to. Mm-hmm. I was raised by a head football coach. My dad started a new program, new high school, Roosevelt High School. And he was the head coach. And I'd follow him around on the floor. thought I'd be there. Every single day, learning all the plays, being fascinating. And that's where I really developed my competitive spirit. And so growing up on the football field taught me a lot. You know, I'd hang out with the the players that are in high school at the time, you know, watching my dad, how he organized and basically ran the whole team, ran an organization. You know, I I really would contribute that uh, my business knowledge in a lot of ways or the way I think about doing things to being raised by a football coach and watching all of that so that was going on a lot when i was a a little kid and i was fascinated with football just couldn't get enough of it always watching it always being competitive always wanting to win stuff like that so it really gave me that competitive spirit but anyways going back to the shin so we're figuring out this diagnosis doing blood work doing all these kinds of things and really just trying to figure out what is going on with me eventually i'd get a muscle biopsy done so they would you know put me under and and i would after the muscle biopsy it's kind of funny i got up out of the hospital bed, like literally right after the surgery. And I said, I can walk. And I was yelling at my doctors and yelling at everybody in the room. I said, I can walk. I'm fine. There's something wrong with me. And I was trying to walk and I wasn't supposed to get up and walk yet because, you know, I got like stitches in my leg or whatever. And so they all told me, you know, you need to settle down. You need to sit down, calm down, whatever. Um, but, you know, I don't know how far it was from then, but I was officially diagnosed with Duchenne Muscular Dystrophy. And what
0: happened and was... Wait, wait, wait a second. Go so- ahead. You are used to sharing the story and I, I appreciate that. And I don't want to um, shake you up at all, but I do want to make sure the audience knows things and I know things. So Duchenne, um, talk about what is Duchin? Where did the name come from?
2: Yeah. So actually, I don't know where the name comes from. I believe it's named after a French doctor. Double check me on that though. That's what I. That's Andre, what is gonna,
0: Andre is going to research that now. And the reason I asked that is because it is French. And so there's obviously a history. And mm-hmm. it adds a lot, obviously, to the, the story to know how many people have Duchenne, um, how do people get it? Uh, that's so you want to go and break there real quick.
2: Sure. So about a quarter of a million people have the disease worldwide. Uh, one 000, one in 3,500 boys will be uh, diagnosed with it. Um, more, and,
0: than, more than females?
2: You know, females is very rare. I do think it's certainly I think it's definitely possible, but it's extremely rare. Um, and so basically what the disease does is it's a muscle wasting disease. And so as that's time true. goes on, person will become weaker and weaker. So, you know, they'll start off being able to walk but they'll get weaker. But it's not just a
0: muscular wasting disease. It's a, it's a death disease, isn't it?
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's fatal. It's fatal. Yeah.
0: So that's an important part to, to state in this story because you defied the odds and the, the name Duchenne is not something you want to hear from a standpoint of wellness, but you also want to hear from a standpoint of longevity.
2: That's correct. Yeah, I mean, when parents hear this, when they hear that their kid has been diagnosed with Duchenne, uh, it's basically a death sentence. You know, it's a terrible thing.
0: Uh, well, we're going to break to Doctor Andrea I, I did right find now. A little... she, well, let me let me say it so it sounds like a perfect segue, like it was planned. So let me do it. Let, let me do it the real good way, Elijah. You're mm-hmm. going to be blown away by how good this is. And uh, while we've been talking about this, I, mean, I think Doctor Andrea has been doing a little research, and she has a couple things she'd like to say.
1: Yes, uh, Doctor uh, Guillaume Duchenne. De Bologne. Is it Bologne? And it's not, not Bologne. It looks like Bologna. He does not
0: want to be called Bologna. I'm going to tell you that right now.
1: Yeah. So I actually thought oh that would be fun for kids
0: to okay, know
1: Shen <laughs> Oh, shoot. Um, okay. No, so you're, not, you're fine. Shen is the first half of his last. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so uh, he uh, was the first person to look and find uh muscular, um, issues with, uh, um, how that they were working and how they contract and expand. And he's the first person who came up with, uh, electrodialysis of the this? muscles. Um, 1875, I believe I'll double check that. Cause I thought it was
0: 1874, and... but it. Um, Oh, he died. He died in
1: 1875. It was actually um, within his lifetime there that he uh, came up with that and was the first person to really look at nervous and muscular disorders and came up with medical treatments for them. So
0: So uh, a shout out to the French. Elijah. And by the way, you know, that's that's kind of cool. But someone like this gentleman here and uh, I won't butcher his name. I'll learn it later. But this gentleman made it that much more possible for a ripple effect of study to happen for other people to learn and take his work and go beyond it so that you were not someone that couldn't be talked to on some level about the possibility of how to deal with it. So let's go back to your story at this time.
1: Uh, May I I interject? I just found an amazing story um, of a gentleman who has outlived all the predictions for patients with this disorder, uh, with Duchenne muscular dystrophy. He is 40. Uh, this was, uh, oh, oh, well, I'll have to see how old he is now that I just realized the article's old. So let me check on that. Um, so he was 40 in 2011, and he lives 45 minutes from me. Um, I'm hoping that we'll find that he His is name? still thriving, um, is Tom Soferro, so um, he turned 40 in 2011. So I'll do some research and see where he's at. And uh, we'll, I'll let you know. But that that's amazing because 40 was unheard of in the past. So mm-hmm. uh, that's very helpful.
0: Well, I know Elijah is going to do. We're going to go for the Smuckers 100. Elijah?
2: Smuckers 100?
0: Yeah. That's the jelly that they show. The Smuckers are in Good Morning America shows of uh, like five or six people that made it to 100 every day and they celebrate their life. And it's not that oh, okay, okay.
2: Very cool, so very cool. I,
0: I want you on the Smuckers 100 I want you on right. the I want you on the jelly jar. All right. So um, you know, we just took away your thunder and this beautiful momentum you were having, but I wanted to make sure I didn't forget to ask that, but also is also relevant. But <clears throat> we really care about shout-outs. Did you notice we gave a shout out to that, Doctor? We gave a shout-out to the French. I want you to take a second to give a shout out. It sounds like your dad was instrumental and your mom is awesome. If you want to give a shout out to your brother, whatever you want to do, I want want to give you an opportunity to give a little shout out because they were part of your success too.
2: Yeah. You know, I'd, I'd love to shout out my parents and my family. You know, they really, you know, you don't, something I always tell people is you don't choose parents. You kind of just end up with these people. Right. And I'm so fortunate to end up with such amazing parents as my mom and dad. You know, they really made me become the person I am today. They instill all these mindsets into me, the positivity in me, um, the competitiveness in me. They never let me use my disease as an excuse not to be great. They've always pushed me to do great things. They've always believed in me. They always let me do what I want to do uh, in terms of, you know, this, you know, I want to go and cure this disease. Okay, let's do it. You know, and so I'm very, very much appreciate everything they've done for me. And I would love to just, you know give them some credit right now because they, they definitely, you,
0: you can care. even say their names if you want.
2: Yeah. My mom's name is, you know, Kelly Stacy and my dad is Bill Stacy. And you know, thank you, mom and dad. Thank you for everything you do for me.
0: And I'm glad you did that because if I was your mom or dad, or I know when they hear this show, they're going to hear not only the appreciation, but they're going to hear that the love was received. They want nothing more than for you to be happy and healthy and obviously making the impact that they want to make in your life. So that's good. That's really cool. So I apologize for the little segue there we can hop back on the the train and keep going sounds good all right so do you know where you were in your story yep continue
2: so do you want me to talk about the shin or do you want me to talk because i was talking about you wanted me to talk about the shin real quick
0: so yes just yeah let's close that loop of whatever else you want to say about the shin and then go right back in your story yes okay cool all right ready yes all
2: right So when it comes to the shin, right? So most people, when they're 11, that's when I, this is when I was, uh, they become completely dependent on a power wheelchair, right? Because they become too weak to walk. So you're dependent on a power wheelchair. And then later in your teenage years, you lose mobility in your arms because that those muscles get attacked as well. And then as you said, Ken, this disease is very serious, very serious. Most people pass away when they're 25 years old. The reason that is, is because the heart is a muscle in your diaphragm, which is responsible for allowing your lungs to inhale and exhale. That's a muscle as well. So those are both going to be attacked because it's a muscle wasting disease. Every muscle will be attacked. So it's a very serious disease and that's why I'm very focused on completing the cure for it and making something happen. But we'll get into that later, I'm sure. Um, But going back to my story, uh, so I was raised by a football coach, growing up on the football field, being diagnosed with the disease. And when my parents officially told me, they told me when I was six years old, they uh, sent me down on the couch and they said, hey, we have some news to tell you. We have some good news and some bad news, Okay. And they said, they have a gift for me. Right. And that's all I cared about this time. I, I wanted this gift. They got me a flip phone. Okay. They got me a flip phone. Right. But I said, Hey, let's start off with the bad news. So they sent me down. They told me, you know, you, you have this disease. It's called the shin muscle, dystrophy, whatever. And I don't really know too much about it. And I just said, okay, great. You know, um, I said, but where's my gift. And then they gave me the flip phone. I thought it was the coolest thing ever. You know, I was a first grader having a flip phone. You know, you were, you were so cool if you got a phone or whatever. So I thought that was terrific. But, um, That's how I came to know the disease. And and honestly, to me, it was great to know that it now had a name because people would always ask me, why do you walk like that? Why do you fall on the floor all the time? Blah, blah, blah. Right. What's wrong with you? I don't know what to tell them. Now I had an answer. You know, I have this disease called Duchenne muscular dystrophy. There you go. Right. So that's how I came to know I had Duchenne. And that's the story of learning about it. But, you know, as time goes on, I would also struggle in school. Right. It's a big part of my story. I would struggle in school. I'd get made fun of for the way I walk by some people. I wouldn't be able to keep up with them on the playground. And I was really behind in school because I was missing the first part of it, going to doctor's appointments all the time. And everything uh, in the morning was related to language arts. So it was reading and writing. So I was behind in my reading and writing. I was like the dumb kid in class. You know, Uh, we really slow when I read out loud or writing stuff. I sucked at doing it and that really sucked. And then by the time I was in third grade, I had a teacher who would become uh, my uh, basically like a tutor, she would come after school to my house and really help me make up all that work, make up on the things that I was lacking. Her name is Miss Cindy. So she comes back into my life again. She would teach me how to read, how to write. You know, we do spelling tests, right? Because, I, you know, you have to do a spelling test every week. And that was something I really struggled on. Is she, she alive? She is. She is. Great lady. I still talk to her to this day. I just saw her a few days ago. Is there a uh, way that
0: we can get her picture of you with her?
2: Definitely. Easy. Right. Uh, so Miss Cindy, she's a great, great lady. So she'd help me out, and I was frustrated though at the at the beginning. I didn't really like working with her. It's frustrating, you know, because it's like this is not fair. That's why I told myself it's not fair that I have to do extra work at home while other kids have to go home and go play and go do whatever they want to do. It's not fair. But you know what? I had to do it anyways, and I sucked it up and got it done. And so I would make up a lot of the stuff that I was lacking, reading, writing, and um, progress, regress, and that. And, you know, so I was doing that and getting better and, and improving, but in the fifth grade, I would have one of my really close friends. He would challenge me. He would say, you know, you're not as smart as me because you don't get straight A's. And I thought, no, I'm not accepting that. Like I'm not as smart as you because I don't try as hard as you do. You know, you know, you try really hard. Your parents make you get straight A's. Like you're, you know, you really have that pressure. And I didn't like that. You know, someone, Oh, I'm better than you. I'm smarter than you type of thing. You know, this is my my best friend at the time. Right. And so I'm very competitive. So I didn't accept that answer, right? And he said, oh, no, you know, you can't talk because you don't got straight A's or whatever. Okay. So that year I decided I'm going to get straight A's. I'm going to prove it, right? I call it rocket fuel. If someone doubts you and they say you can't do something that you believe you can, it's motivation. It's free energy. It's free rocket fuel, right? That was uh, the best
0: gift he could have given you.
2: Honestly. No, seriously. This <laughs> I is I totally agree. And um, so in fifth grade, great. i tried very, very hard. I get straight A's. Besides, I end up with a B plus, a B plus in writing. That writing was really, really messing me up. And I was devastated at the end of the year because I tried my absolute hardest and it just wasn't enough. My good enough wasn't enough. And I went home that year on, you know, I rode the bus home and I was crying. I was tearing up. I was mad, you know, because I felt I wanted to do it so bad. The next year, sixth grade, it's going to be a different year i dominate the classroom not only do i get straight a's but i answer every single question i offer to read out loud my confidence is growing and you know by the end of the year i won every single award that you could win um, and really dominated. and and to me that was like it was more than just getting the grades but it was proving myself that no one can tell me i can't do something and it's been like that my whole life like one time my dad when i was on the football field uh going way back right when i was a little kid he told me you know uh you shouldn't really walk around the track. I said, how, how, you know, I'm at practice. I said, you know, how many laps around the track is a mile? He said four. So off I went and I did a mile, right? Like when people tell me I can't do something and you know, I believe I can, I'm going to make it happen. That's just the mindset I've always been in. Um, and so anyways, sixth grade, I dominate, do very well. And I, it really, um, that challenge, right. I've so you're not you as know, smart as me and straight A's and all that stuff. It really allowed me to become, something I didn't know. And, and that's, you know, use my brain and actually believe that I'm smart, you know, because for the longest time I believed I was dumb. You know, I was the kid that people made fun of. I was the kid that couldn't read, the kid that couldn't write. I was the dumb kid. Now it changed. Now I believe that I was the smart kid, right? I believe that I mm-hmm. know I'm intelligent. You know, I can learn, I can read, I can do these things. Right. Yeah, and- I want
0: to ask you a question about the, uh, the defiant. Uh, I have to prove someone wrong. You said you attribute it to football and your dad's coaching. Do you recall what it was specifically? I mean, there, was there some defining moment that happened that you said, you know what? Well,
2: I, I would say just, you know, a lot of the competitive spirit and doing what, you know, I think that comes from like a sports type of culture and stuff like that. So I would contributed, you know, there.
0: So it wasn't um, one specific thing. It was just seeing it over and over again.
2: Yeah. Yeah, probably. Okay. And, you know, b- back in elementary school, as I'm, you know, competing in the classroom, I was also competing on the basketball court at recess. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of my friends, they like to play basketball and I'm, you know, very into sports. And so I got very into basketball and I learned how to shoot a hoop in my wheelchair. I learned how to dribble in my wheelchair. I learned how to do all these things. And I was the kid that people picked last. And then I would become a kid that people wanted on their team, you know, because people would always complain, like, you know, people would say, oh, you know, we don't want him or whatever. And then they figured out, okay, wait, he's actually actually good at this, you actually do things. And then they, then they complain, oh, it's not fair to have him on your team. Like for example, (laughs) basketball, uh, you'll, you'll set what are called screens, right? Screens where you, you know, you normally use your body and you stand there and like you, you stop the opponent. So like the person with the ball can go around you. Right. Right. Well, I realized my wheelchair is huge. You know, I'm going to set awesome screens. And that's what I would always do. And my, my, uh, my teammates would go wide open because I'd set great screens. Um, you know, I'd box people out and it's hard. I'd use my disadvantage to my advantage. Like people be dribbling the ball and I'm lower to the, the floor. I'd always steal the ball from them. Always steal the ball. I'm lower. It's easy to pick them. So I do all kinds of stuff like that. So I'm very, very competitive on the basketball court. Wheelchair, no wheelchair. I didn't care. I wanted to win anyways. And so, um, so I was doing that as well. And so that's elementary school. And that's when I really started to develop and, and basketball was huge for me. It really helped me develop my self-image, you know, seeing myself like everybody else. And because I saw myself like everybody else, other people started to see me as everybody else, right? When you when you think of yourself like what you know, how you think of yourself really matters because it's going to determine how you act and how you act is how other people are going to see you. And so that was really, uh, really, really big for me as basketball. And I got super into you know uh, the NBA. Love the LA Clippers. I'm a huge Clippers fan to this day. Um, you know, I'd watch all their games. Like literally every single game, I'd come home, do my homework, watch the Clippers. Right? That's basically what I would do if I wasn't watching the Clippers. I was shooting hoops with my neighbor in my backyard to get better. Or I was, you know, playing NBA 2K, the video game, right? Basketball, basketball, basketball. Loved it. Um, so that's really elementary school. Then, you know, we got to uh, middle school. And middle school, you know, it's a new school, right? New school. People are going through puberty. You know, people are changing. They're trying to find who they are. It's a it's a big deal regardless, Right. And I have, and you know, I'm doing this, plus I have the shin, I'm in a wheelchair, and I have to go to school, all these new people are going to look at me different, they're going to judge me, they have all these assumptions about me, you know, people that come up to me on the first day, why are you in a wheelchair, you know, special attention, some people feel sorry for me, here's a high five, buddy, you know, I don't, I don't want that special attention. I'm not about that, you know, because I don't see myself any different. I don't see myself as Oh, have pity for me have feel sorry for me. I'm not about that. And so people are doing that, you know, people are, Ask me, you know, how do you put your clothes on? How do you go to the bathroom? You know, how do you eat food? You know, just like stuff like that. And I'm like, how do I eat food? Like, are you kidding me? You know, so stuff, stuff like that, and you know, how to deal with it and and
0: and get you part know, of it. you know, Elijah, I gotta say, I'm surprised at you right now. Cause I I if I had been you, I would have said, buy me a steak right now. I'm gonna show you how I consume it, and I want you to pay attention. And if you don't pick it up, you can buy me a steak tomorrow. You can buy me a big, juicy burger. I'm going to show you how I do it. And, and also, Elijah, you got to say, and, and don't think that that's all I can do. Buy me some fries because I want to show you how I eat them too. And show each type of food you like.
2: Okay. Okay. So, Ken, I want to take you out one day. One day we're gonna make this happen. Steak is actually one of my favorite meals with mashed potatoes. We got to make this happen. <laughs> We've got
0: to offer
2: all right, we're gonna make that happen. On me. On me. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> uh, I wish I would have knew you back in seventh grade because that would have been a great answer. I would have done that all the time. That been- <laughs> you know, food, I'll show you awesome. how to make it happen. Uh, terrific. But um, okay. Um, I guess going back, back into it. Right. So that's something great. No, the other thing too, is, you know, people are making, I, actually we need to go on a, a short break right yeah. now. The sta- so, It's the steak
0: break. It's the steak break.
1: <laughs> so we'll go flip the stakes and we'll, we'll be back um, after these messages. So we're faking messages right now uh, because um, Elijah, we don't have, in fact, I'm going to do this. So, uh, they see where the break is.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: So uh, that way that works. And then uh, we can start back up.
0: And um, we have a shorter period on this next side of this, which mm-hmm. is what, 20 minutes?
1: Um, yeah, we'll be done uh, by noon. Ken. Okay. So, so Elijah. Uh, this one will take us right to the hour because we started late.
0: Okay. But, Elijah, that we're going to uh, do, we're going to move quickly from middle school to just go through, bring us up to date quicker because then we're going to cut this book. And then we're going to do rapid fire. Rapid fire as we ask you what what Sounds book changed. Sounds like. good. Okay. Sounds All right. Good. So don't don't rush it, but but move a little quicker so we can get to your book.
2: Sounds good. I got you. Okay. Cool. And then Ken, do you want to
1: bring us back from break?
0: All right, I hope you enjoyed that break. I hope you guys were grilling those steaks and having some mashed potatoes during that break. We are back with Elijah and man, we are drooling because that's what we're gonna be doing soon. So uh, we are so excited to continue the story, the saga, the journey of Elijah and hear where things went from middle school. And then we want to, of course, get to his book, A Small If, great book for inspiration, great book to give friends, anyone, That needs a dose of hope and we are going to be inviting him into of course the lovely dose of hope because he belongs there with all the other authors i know this is a little hard to see but if anyone wants to see uh, these books we do send them out electronically you can go to our website www.thekeepsmilingmovement.com you can get your cards your books find out about our events and elijah this is important the card in the front is this the back of the card is you We amplify goodness and you are goodness, Elijah. That's why you're here.
1: And I have some good news. I looked up Tom. He now lives in Temperance, Michigan. He lives in Temperance, Michigan. That means he is still living. So he is uh, in his 50s. And how exciting is that?
0: And Elijah, I think he's throwing the gauntlet at you to go to 100. I think that's what he's trying to do. So, you know, it would be kind of cool is because of this show. Think about this, Elijah. Because of this show. And it not being the normal, let me tell my story, bye-bye. We broke it up. We stopped and we talked about gratitude. And we talked about who is Duchenne? Who is the person that actually is affected by it? Who is living? And I think that there's going to be a friendship that comes out of this between you and him from this show. Be great. That'd be really cool. And, and I have you know his what? phone number. And I'm friends, calling
1: him the second we hang up.
0: And friends cause people to live better.
2: Absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, it's, not,
0: it's not just longer, but better.
2: Absolutely. Definitely.
0: All right. So you had some uh, bullying incidents. You had some people that, unfortunately, I wasn't in your seventh grade class to milk the uh, the steak and potatoes uh, opportunity. But you now know from now on that that's the mindset you can give to other people that are affected, no matter how they're affected, not just Duchenne, but anything. That anybody that says, how do you do that? Say, I'll show you. Go ahead and buy me a meal and I'll show you how it's done perfectly. So let's go back to your story.
2: Sure. Yeah. So, you know, back in middle school, you know, quickly going through it, uh, you know, so I started off, you know, people asking me all this stuff, but, uh, you know, I I didn't really fit in with the popular kids. I wasn't really into a lot of them were being immature, to be quite honest with you. And I wasn't really into that. You know, I'm here to do business. I'm here to do good straight A's again, here to continue on my, you know, academic, you know, excellence, all that stuff. So I kind of move away, uh, but I meet this teacher, you know, I didn't really want to participate in PE. I kind of thought that's something they do. I met this amazing teacher. And in fact, she was the 2019 California Teacher of the Year. Amazing lady. Her name is Dr. Mejico. And I also met uh, a teacher who works right with her, who is honestly a friend at this point. Her name is Dr. Perkins, Dr. P. And they changed my life. You know, they got me involved with uh, PE. um, And it really started off with dodgeball. You know, no one started a dodgeball at me. And I thought, you know, this is boring. Like, I want to be competitive. So Dr. Mejico, she came up behind me, threw a dodgeball. I mean, she showed the whole class that you can't throw a dodgeball at a kid in a wheelchair too. And so that really showed them, okay, yeah, no, he's just like us. And that really changed. And I started making a lot of friends and doing all kinds of stuff. So big shout out to Dr. Mejico. Big shout out to Dr. P. Love you guys.
0: And uh, Do- and then uh, Cindy, uh, Miss Cindy.
2: And Miss Cindy as well. Cindy- Honestly, so- there's so many people. There's so many people that have made me who I am today that I could talk about for hours right So you
0: know what you're doing after this uh after this show you're going to see if you can contact them and see if we can all meet at the uh right. LA hotel whatever that hotel it is and we're going to get
1: Intercontinental downtown
0: Yeah the Intercontinental downtown and wouldn't it be amazing if all of us got together nice photo and who knows they might even buy you some steak and some mashed potatoes
2: <laughs> That'd be great that'd be great Um but I guess continuing on so you know in 8th grade You know, that's when I learned my little brother Kai would also be diagnosed with Duchenne muscular dystrophy. So that was intense. Um, This was the
0: brother that was born when you were were finding out that you were having trouble walking. Is that the brother? This is another brother. That
2: was Max. I thought. I thought
0: so. That's why I wanted to clear that up. So Max Mm -hmm. does not have Duchenne.
2: Max does actually have Duchenne, but we didn't know that until way later. But he has so many other health complications. He has, you know, he he had a massive stroke when he was born, so he was confined to a bed, feeding tube. Couldn't see, cognitively delayed, couldn't speak, all that. So full-time nurse, very, very uh, severe uh, case. And so, but he also had shin, But we learned that later on. But we would never know because of he was always confined to a bed. So you know, there's no clear signs. But later, when we realized that Kai has the shin, that uh, we got him tested and we figured it out. Though, yeah, Max has the shin as well. So wow. very, uh, very wild story to say the least. But um,
0: extremely. I, I mean, your parents—they're uh, like saints.
2: Honestly, they, the, the, the amount of uh, courage and fight that they have, you know, I, I'm living with the disease and watching brothers, but I can't imagine being a parent. And then, you know, not to go ahead of my story, but Max would later pass away in 2019. They lost a the kid with the shin, you know, so that's some insane stuff. That's some intense stuff. But um,
0: did you uh, I, I mean, your dad must have just been unbelievable um, in his conviction for being a father as well as a coach. I mean, you can't. I mean, have, being a coach by a man like your father, I can imagine that he would bring so much commitment to the field because of his commitment to you and his commitment to greatness.
2: Definitely, very, very committed. And you know, what he used to say, "I Roosevelt, the strength and honor," and I think he definitely lives by that. And um, you could just see that with his life. So, awesome. Definitely.
0: Okay, and so now you you're. You've been doing, you've been t- taking the business of education very seriously and you're moving forward. Uh, you're getting close to the time you're writing this book.
2: Yeah. So in ninth grade, uh, I joined a very, very high academic program called the IB program. And, you know, very take, I'm taking my academics very seriously. I later joined uh, that same year. I joined the mock trial club, which is basically, you know, literally a mock trial. And you do it in a real courtroom. It's a real judge. Uh, you have attorneys that are like your coaches and the real life attorneys. And so it's like, it's like a real situation. So I got chosen to be the pretrial lawyer, which means that I would deal with case law. So I'd have to, you know, know all these cases and be able to argue it quick off my feet. And the judge could interrupt me at any time I'm making my argument and ask me any question you wanted. So I have to know my stuff. You know, you can't just fake it. You have to know your stuff. And so that really helped me become a great public speaker. really helped me, you know, think quick off my feet. And it was just a lot of fun. Anyways, at that time, I realized I want to do something great for the world. You know, I was getting really interested in business, looking up to people like Jeff Bezos, Steve Jobs, business icons, reading marketing books, love marketing, love all that stuff. I think it's one of the best ways to impact the world is through marketing. I really believe that. Um, and so I'm like, what, what can I do? I want to change the world. Why do, I have to, why do I have to wait till I'm 25 or 30? I'm 15. Why can't I do it now? I mean, what, seriously, what is the rule or this social expectation that you can't be great now? Why? So I want to do some great. I just didn't know what it was. We go to this fundraiser, we go to this fundraiser. It's put on by a high, uh, high school dance team. And so it's in a high school theater. They have this booklet. I'm looking at this booklet. They pass it on, I'm reading it. And in the booklet it talks about, you know, the shin muscle dystrophy. And it says that, um, you know, people lose their ability to walk. Not news to me. It's muscle wasting disease. Not news to me. Then it mentions that people lose their ability to use their arms. I'm thinking, no, oh, no, no, no. I didn't know that at the time, you know? Um, sure. I maybe have a little bit of weakness in my arms, but I didn't know it was going to be this bad. And Thinking about not being able to throw the football around with my dad, not being able to shoot hoops with my friends, throw the ball around with my friends. That's that no, I, I wasn't about that. So it really, really hit me. Then I keep reading and it says that the disease is fatal, that most people pass away when they're 25. And I'm going, you know, I, I'm losing my breath at this point and blood's rushing all over me. I'm I'm hyperventilating. I'm, you know, what, what this is news to me, right? And I'm 15, 25, that's you know, 10 years, you know. And I'm like, this is this must be a mistake. But then it makes me logically accept reality because it says that's a muscle wasting disease the heart and diaphragm are muscles too. And I go, yeah, that's true. And then it says the disease is incurable. I thought, Oh, okay. So I took that as a challenge saying, Oh, so you're saying there's nothing that can be done. Well, let me see what I can do about it. Let me see what I can do. Cause you know, you say I can't do it. Let's see, because my whole life has been, you can't do it. Let's see what I can do then. Right. And so I go home that day. I put on my super favorite, uh, favorite superhero movie. All right. Iron man. And I'm watching Tony Stark and he's using his knowledge to solve problems and stuff. And I'm thinking, you know, I can do the same thing. I know what I want to do now. I want to I wanna do something about this. I want to start a business. I knew it should be a for-profit or a non-profit. At the time, I thought a non-profit was best because of, you know, where I was at in my life, you know, being that young, all the resources I had access to, non-profit. So non-profit was. Went with the non-profit, started that, and, and that's how the non-profit came to be. And then I think one of the other major points in my life that I would touch on uh, to, to kind of close is um when i was 16 i go to my doctors and most people with this disease you know your your spine starts to curve more and more and that's because your muscles are getting weaker the last few visits haven't been good my doctor was talking about you know spinal surgery and stuff like that but i never took it too seriously because it's like whatever this appointment was different though he says, your spine is so curved that, you know, today I'm going to start to suggest really strongly that you get the surgery. Now he starts going over, we will have this team of doctors. They're really good. We'll have, um, you know, we'll do it during, uh, the summertime to avoid the flu season. You know, he's getting specific. So I know he's serious and my mom's crying. My dad's got his head down and I'm sitting there smiling, so I ain't accepting and I ain't having it. Right. And I talked to my doctor. I said, okay. What if I just don't have the surgery? What if I just tell you no? And he said, well, you could do that. But as your doctor, I have to really suggest that you get the surgery. So we're going back and forth. And then I asked him, okay, let's just say that I was somehow able to avoid having to get back surgery. Let's just say, if I was able to reverse the current state of my spine, could I avoid having to get the surgery? And he says, well, I don't want to give you any false hope. It's basically medically impossible. I've never seen anybody do it. But because I know you, I will give you, a small if. That's all I need to hear. A small if. Okay. From that day forward, went to physical therapy. Very intense. Worked with an amazing lady. Shout out, Reiko. Another person to shout out. Um, worked out on my own. Started eating healthier. Swore off eating sweets. I hung a picture of my curved spine on my bedroom wall so I'd see it every morning. I would visualize myself making it straighter. i visualize how good it would feel to do what they, my doctor doesn't think is possible and to have to not get the surgery. And I stuck to it. I was dedicated to it. I was determined to do it. I was determined to pull this off. It was rocket fuel, right? Three months later, I go to the doctors and my spine is straighter. Don't have to have the surgery. I did it. All I needed was a small if. And that's what I see throughout my whole life a small if all the time. There's a small possibility right now, cure this disease. If I cure it, then I don't pass away when I'm 25. If I cure it, it's a small if, but that's all I need. That's all I need. We're going to get this done. I really believe in that. So that's really the story of my life so far. Um, and so much more is happening, but I decided to start writing the book, a small if when I was 16, I finished it when I was 17 and it's morphed into something that I think is just bigger than a book at this point. I think it's about, you know, overcoming adversity, keeping positivity, inspiring, people, giving people hope, especially with the last two years, with all the stuff that the world has gone through, you know, people need hope right now. They need a story of resilience and that's what I have to offer. And I'm big on minimizing human suffering. And I think that my story and everything I'm doing can can truly do that. And so that's what I'm dedicated to doing nowadays.
0: Bravo, bravo. Elijah, I love you. You are definitely the the type of author, the type of person, the type of leader we want to embrace and we want to market. And when you said market, that's what I do. I'm a marketing yeah. man uh, because the power of marketing is the power of distribution. So it's distributing good or bad. And so I chose goodness. And so you are certainly that. Um, yeah, we, we want to move to the book, obviously. So talk, talk about... Um, some of the lessons that you teach people in this. And I do want to say before you go there, what you basically told people, meaning the doctors and whoever told you no, was that you're not buying in. Because if you buy in, you actually cause that to happen. The buy-in is your body, your cellular level, your mindset, everything's saying, you know what, they say it's the way it's going to be, so I'm going to make it that way too for them. But when you say it's not going to be that way, you actually cause that shift and that opposing energy force to cause it not to be that so it's really brilliant. So go ahead and uh, share what people get when they not just read your inspiring story, but the the lessons that you teach in the book.
2: Yeah. So the book has a unique style to it. So, you know, it's story of my life. It's a memoir. But at the end of the first 13 chapters, I include a life lesson that I learned that has to do with adversity and overcoming adversity, overcoming suffering and and living a more fulfilling life, you know, things that are better. So one of those lessons that I, I think would that you would be really intrigued with is lesson 10. Gratitude is blissful. I'm a big believer in being in grateful, right? Because I realize, even me, with a, a terrible disease and terrible situation, I'm still grateful that I have a wheelchair. Some people don't even have a wheelchair, and I can't even imagine how hard my life would be if I didn't have a wheelchair. So I'm grateful for that. And it's not just this whole, you know, think that you know, I'll just say that you're gra- uh, grateful for whatever. No, you have to really believe. It. You have to really feel it, right? And the way to do that is you have to contrast. You have to think. What would it be like? And really imagine what it'd be like to not have the wheelchair, not to have your phone, not to have water or clean water and food. You know what I mean? You have to really believe it really think about it. And then when you do that, then you're really grateful for the things that you do have. This could be people as well. We take people for granted all the time. We can't do that. We got to think about this person really makes time for me. They really mean a lot to me. I'm grateful for them. Right. So that's one of the major lessons there. And I talk about that.
0: Um, another big speak- lesson. When you speak at events, Elijah, or I, I don't. Sorry if I don't know you well enough to ask this question, but I'm going to ask: Are you in a wheelchair when you speak at this at these events? Yes. Or, okay. So you are—you do not get out of the wheelchair because you cannot yet. Okay. I. I yep. Cannot. And I said yet. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, brother. So talk about some other lessons in the book.
2: Sure. Yeah. So that's that's a really big one. That I think that you would like um, the economy. And of I
0: cons- do. I love it. I, can I just interject with my son the other day I bought, you know, there's, there's shortages short. in food right now. You can't get everything you want at the food store. And my son has been brought up on this organic milk in a red, a red container, half, half gallons, got the nice little cow picture on it and it wasn't available. There were none of them. So I bought the one gallon Lucerne, which is a brand that's very good. 2% just like he gets and he drank it and he liked it. Second, my wife brings out the, uh, good old milk, and he sees the container, he goes, what's that? And he doesn't want it. Interesting, right?
2: It is interesting.
0: Yeah. So he was not having gratitude for the fact that he had at least milk.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> it tells you something about marketing too, that we, we uh, get stuck on branding. Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Because mm-hmm. it tastes good when it's what you think it is. That's
1: true. Uh, well, the other one might not have had a cow on it.
0: <laughs> right. I just hope the ca- I, I just hope it came from a cow. I told my son, I said, you don't need to drink milk from a cow. There's no science scientist that says you have to drink milk from a cow. You can drink water. You're good. You don't need milk. <laughs> <laughs> that that showed that movie Friday, it says, put water in it. Put water in it. <laughs> All right. Continuing on.
2: Sure. Yeah. So another lesson that I'm really big on is that economy of control. And this lesson says to you focus on what you can control and disregard what you cannot control. The key here though is that a majority of things are not in your control. And you have to realize that you have to understand that you gotta learn what's really in your control. You can influence things, but you can't control it necessarily. Okay, and there's a difference. For example, people and you might want to influence them to like you, to be your friend. Okay. You can be nice to them, you can take interest in them, do all the right things. But they may but you can't control if they like you or not. They may not like anybody, right? They may not like anybody. So no matter what you do, they may not like anybody, so they're just not going to like you either. That's control. But you have to but when you learn that, you really free yourself from all this emotional, you know, um, bondage, right? And I think it's really freeing and it's really helped me because I live my life with a, a, a terrible disease and there's a lot of things I can't control, but I don't worry about it and I don't meditate on that because I can't control those things. I meditate on what I can't control.
0: And well, that's how I'll tell you what you can control. You can control the answers we're going to be asking you during rapid fire. Cause I'm, I want my audience to know what feeds you and what feeds you is what you choose to have in reading, what you watch, et cetera. So oh, maybe we, yes. may we, may we go to the uh, rapid fire.
2: Let's do that. Let's do that.
0: Okay. You can name a book or two that changed your life.
2: Okay. I would, re- I would say the Bible, and then I would say how to win friends and influence people. Dale Carnegie.
0: Very good. Good job.
1: Elijah, right. what's a song that you play to get you motivated and happy and excited about things?
2: Your go-to song. I got a lot of songs. Uh, basically, anything by Kanye West. <laughs> <laughs> All right.
0: Didn't see that coming. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> All right. How about uh, Here,
2: Shoot the Thrill. That's another good one. I like that one too. Shoot the Thrill. Good song.
0: Okay. And um, a movie or two that inspires you
2: iron man and we'll just stick with iron man Fair that's my favorite movie for sure you got it when you
1: were a little kid what did you want to grow up to be
2: well when i was really young i wanted to be an artist there's something about art i want to be an architect as well i thought buildings and like i love interior design you know there's something that people don't know about me i love interior design i love like modern skyscrapers all stuff like that i was fascinated with that that's what i wanted to do i would, My dad actually worked construction um, long, long ago. So maybe it's that. I don't know. But I really was intrigued by that.
0: I think everything, every room should have a poster, a small lift poster.
2: I think so too.
0: (laughs) All right. um, Who's someone that uh, you would love to meet? Dream come true.
2: Well, I got to meet Jeff Bezos, and that was really cool. So did you? uh, I did. But I guess I would say uh, this is man. These are good questions. I'd probably say Ellen. I want to be Ellen.
0: Okay, let's let's get you live with her.
2: He has a little
1: inkling that uh, there might be something happening for him with that. So that's awesome. We uh, you'll need you'll need your
0: right hand photographer there to catch.
2: (laughs) (laughs) If only we can get steak and mashed potatoes afterwards. (laughs) It's a
0: deal. It's a deal. (laughs)
2: Sounds (laughs) like a
0: deal. My tummy promises. All right.
1: And uh, due to the sake of uh, time, can you take this one?
0: Okay. Uh, What is a quote you live by?
2: Take take nature as it is given. Beautiful.
0: Well, Elijah, this uh, program is about amplifying the life of leaders that choose to live a life they love and to impact the world in their community. And you certainly are a prize. We are so excited that we got to talk with you, that a friendship has started, that potentially even that ignition switch on some level is going to cause the people that you're grateful for to come back into your world, potentially this Friday to have a group shot and also a group talk about what it would be like for them to go on this journey with you moving forward. So we really, really um, want to honor you moving forward by not just putting in a dose of hope and getting this out to 10 million people, but for us to actually connect people to you that you can inspire as future leaders. So thank you.
2: Awesome. awesome. Thank you so much for having me. It's really been an honor to be here. Thank you so much. You're welcome, Elijah.
0: I'm Ken Rashan, on Voice America with my producer, Andre Adams Miller with the Red Carpet Connection, a publicist for people that want to have their dreams come true. We'll see you next week. Thank you very much. Stay on the